All right, good morning, church. Let me read God's word before we begin. I'm going to read from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 21. And this is the reading of God's word. And in the same region where uh, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And then an angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, and you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was, an, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at uh, what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these things, pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And that's the reading of God's word. Um, Welcome, everyone. Uh, Merry Christmas. Guess what? I have good news, and I have good news. Which one do you want first? (laughs) All right, one of the good news. One good news is that this is the fourth Sunday in Advent, which means uh, in the church calendar, that means means Christmas is coming. (laughs) Yay! That means in a few days. I think it's Friday this, this year. So that means Christmas is coming. That's the good news. And also, part of that bonus good news is that on Thursday, Christmas Eve, we are going to have a Christmas Eve service, not in gathering, but uh, virtually. So whether you're in Limburg Campus, Mineola, or um, uh, Little Neck, in the Chinese congregation, and other places, you are welcome to come in at 7 p.m. Thursday night. You could be in your jammies. I don't care what you're wearing, but just click on that link and enjoy this. And, you know, the pastors and myself, we had an uh, opportunity to preview that. And let me just tell you something. I was very humbled uh, because, because of all the stuff that was going on, it was really a good picture, snapshot of what God, His grace for us in 2020. And in fact, it was a, a, a snapshot of what, a, what FCD is like and what it could be like for the future. It was very exciting. And, and, and I, was a, I was like, wow. God is doing this? I mean, you're in your particular campuses. Some of you have not even been to church yet, and I get it. But to be able to experience that in a, in a visual setting for, from all our kids all the way to the elderly, we're all part of the church, and, and you need to see this. You need to bring your family. You need anyone that's associated with this church or even your friends, anyone who's wondering, is SCD a cult? <laughs> Show them this video, all right? you know, have your hot chocolate and popcorn, whatever, but really come. I think you're going to really be blessed because that, I think, is going to set up the, 
set up a springboard for 2021, and a lot of amazing things are going to be happening. Okay, what's the other good news you say? The other good news is that 2020 is nearly over. Yay. All right. You know, um, coming, driving over here was so cool because uh, it's snowing, not a blizzard, but nice, gently falling. It was so nice and reminded me, okay, it's Christmas time. I know it's, the, it's our calendars, that time of the year. We see lights, holiday decoration in our house. We have a tree too, but it's lit and all that. And, and you know, last week we had a Christmas lunch, um, luncheon with the staff. And, and, you know, while we're having lunch, a Christmas lunch with the staff, uh, celebrating what God is doing and encouraging the people that are working so hard throughout the year, I have to be honest, I forgot it was still Christmas. <laughs> and, and I'm like, oh my gosh, Christmas next week? And even this week, you know, I have to keep talking and, and reminding myself it's Christmas because I keep forgetting. Because it just, I don't know about you, but it doesn't feel like Christmas to me. That's why I watch Charlie Brown every year, over and over, the Charlie Brown Christmas. And, you know, Charlie Brown is there, and he says, you know, Linus, I love getting presents. I love the decorations all that, but I just don't feel it. It doesn't seem like Christmas to me. I feel depressed. Maybe I'm Charlie Brown or whatever. That's why I love uh, Snoopy and Charlie Brown and all that. But I don't know what it is, but, but I'm sure maybe perhaps you and many of you Maybe feeling like that. We're lamenting not only this Christmas season, but because of what COVID did, because it didn't just interrupt our life, friends. And I want you to understand this. It's not an interruption. What this thing has done, it disrupted. There's a huge difference. It disrupted everything. Um, our gatherings, Christmas, church, economics, everything. Are your jobs? We don't even know what the future is going to be like, even with the vaccine. So therefore, if, we're, if you're feeling a semblance of, this, of these kinds of emotions, uh, um, you're in a good place right now because this message, this Christmas message that I'm going to share with you this, on this Advent day, in a sense, this COVID-19 that has disrupted every part of society, you got to hear this message. And here's why. Because this season, 2020, COVID-19, people dying, all these real horrible things that's going around us is bad news for most, and it really is. I'm not going to downplay that. However, there is a lining, lining of God's grace underneath all that that you might have missed. I know I missed it because we're all into this. We're all worried. We're all wondering what's going to happen. So we lose what God is trying to tell us, because there is a lining of grace in the midst of COVID-19. Now, Chris, and, 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 and in fact, I would even venture to say that God has given us that as a gift, believe it or not. I know how horrible that is. But in our culture, for you, those, are, those of you who are following Jesus, it is a gift. You know why? Listen to this. Christmas was never about traditions, about that our American culture, if you live in this country, all the things that we're supposed to do in the Christmas season that's been developed in the last century, the decorating trees and Santa Claus and all that stuff, um, it was never about that. You know, before COVID, 
you know, we, we, we preach sermons during the Advent about Christmas and all that, and we kind of allude to that, you know, don't focus on this tree and gifts and things like that. You know, uh, before Christmas, you know, there is this biblical Christian Christmas message, which God is, uh, has told us explicitly in culture, I mean, in the, in the scripture, over against the cultural Christmas, you know, that we always kind of fighting with, and, 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 you know, there's a tension, and if you're a true believer, we always, like, you know, uh, speak against uh, the commercialism and all these kind of things against Christmas and all that, and for the culture, is very confusing, you know? So, so that was always the conversation, you know? Uh, um, the, the, the contrast is stark, but we try to live with it, I suppose. The Christmas biblical story, you know, it's about a stable, right? We know that. It's a quiet place where I mentioned before, the quietness of the night. And yet, we have to uh, put that against, uh, remember when, <laughs> when we were able to go shop and it was just loud and, 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 and stable is a poor place uh, over against the cultural indulgences of wealth and gifts and presents and, and all these kinds of things, you know, and, and lights. And, you know, there was one starry night <laughs> that shone on Bethlehem, and yet we have to compare against all the gazillion lights and the brightness that gets our attention during the Christmas season. We talk about angels. Even we read in Luke 2 about angels, the host of angels flying around, proclaiming the coming of the Savior, and then we get confused with flying reindeers. <laughs> you know, it's like, how do you, how do you put that together? And, and these are the things that, that happen. You know, a couple of years ago, as I was doing um, a Christmas message, I came up with the most confusing and the most, most saddest uh, part of Christmas, and I found this in Japan. Now, you know, if you know anything about Japan, it's less than 2% of the po uh, population is Christian. So they don't really get the theology of Christmas, and yet they like to celebrate it because they've westernized their culture pretty much. And, and, and for, for Japan, Christmas is a, is a, is a secular thing. And show us the slide. What they've done was they eliminated God's story of Christmas, but they love the hyper-commercialization of what Western Christianity is showing. So what they've done was they, they merged a very unique uh, interpretation of Christmas. So they decided to nail Santa Claus on a cross. I mean, you're talking about ultimate confusion. There it is. So before I went through all this, I said there is, a, there is a lining of grace of all this COVID thing, right? Where is the good news? Where is the good news that, that God is bringing to the church in the midst of this 2020 pandemic? Well, like everything else in our church, I want you to remind you over and over again that Christmas, our church, our life has been disrupted, and you know that. So therefore, the good news for the church is that for this season, and even, even maybe just this, this, these 30 minutes or so, the good news is that God is forcing us to see Christmas for what it really is. And what it is, is a season of remembrance of God's story in redemption. You say, I know that. I hope you do know that. Because that's what Christmas is. Because Luke's account gives us, in Luke 2, we read, it gives us the, the, a theological sample, sample if, you, if it were, a sample of God's Christmas story to the world. 
which is vastly different from our cultural Christmas. And for us, we have, in a sense, we, we are forced to kind of think about the real Christmas, particularly for the church, because most people are not in church, in the four walls. They may be virtual here, or they may have just dropped out, but, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you're forced to think about this, because it's like a Christmas like none other. So therefore, three points, God's story to the world. He's going to lay it out again. Then, then, then he's going to explain it. And then thirdly, I want to finish with the implication of what that story is. God's story to the world is this global announcement that he made to the world to the shepherds, to the shepherds in loose account. And again, going back to Charlie Brown, you know I love Charlie Brown. And so he's wondering, he's freaking out. He didn't even have COVID at that time, but he's like, what is Christmas all about? with his big round blockhead looking up to God. What is Christmas all about? And Linus comes up on a stage like this and lights spotlight on him. And what he does is he recites in King James Version, <laughs> Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14, which you have, we have read today. It is about the announcement of the Savior coming to the shepherds first, and they see it, and then the angels come, fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy, glory to God in the highest and peace to us. So that's the announcement. That is God's story to the world. And, and um, Christmas, church, is God's story. And this story that we see has been written. The manger scene, the, 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 the um, Bethlehem manger scene that we see was written, not in Luke chapter 2, but it was written before time began. It was written before uh, the creation happened. It was written in the community of the Trinity. And, and I want you to think about that because that's God's story. God was writing the story of redemption in his community of the Trinity. And, and in order to understand the story, in order to understand and interpret this Christmas story from God's view, not from what uh, our culture says, you need to pause and, and I hope you get a, a listening ear here. We got to pause and hear from heaven what that interpretation is. Because Luke 2 has been read to us, and this revelation of mystery that was hidden in the fullness of time is revealed. You see, the Old Testament saints and the Old Testament promise, uh, they, they couldn't really get it. It was, it was, as it were, a shadow. It was a faint figure of what a Christmas story is. And what's ironic is that in the New Testament, we get the full revelation of what Christmas is, but we're so used to the story that we're also veiled and we forget what the Christmas story is. So both in the Old Testament and New Testament, we need a fresh revelation of this. But the thing is that the full revelation has been given and it's been explicit and it's been given to us. So God is giving the church right now, as you're listening, a gift for us to pause, forget about all the Christmas hoopla and the, and the things that has to happen to make it Christmas. Let's get to the crux, the core of the message and the, and the story of God. So point number two, God's story is revealed. And I want to go over this with you very quickly. So for you, uh, the scripture says the, the, the mystery of Christmas, mystery of the redemption has been revealed to us clear, clearly. So what does that mean for us? You know, God has chosen a New Testament prophet. His name is Saul of Tarsus. 
His Greek name is Paul, all right? And so God chose Paul, and he made him an apostle. You know what an apostle is? Apostle is a, is a temporary office in which God says, I have chosen you, and I'm going to give you direct revelation from heaven. I'm going to give you the interpretation of everything that I laid out in the Old Testament, and it's going to be crystal clear. And God chose St. Paul, the Apostle Paul, to reveal this mystery to the church in a very clear way. And we can glean to this mystery, and we can study this. And that's what Bible study and all that is all about in various places, is particularly in Paul's writing. That's why God chose him, and he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. But today, what I want to do is I want to highlight just one passage in the book of Philippians, it, and it really gives prominence and gives clear explanation of the Christmas story. Get this, from God's perspective. And you need to hear this, church. So in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 through 11, let me just read that clear interpretation of Christmas. The Apostle Paul says, who? And we're talking about Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, who? Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, in verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There it is. Now, Luke chapter 2, Christmas message, that's the angelic announcement, point number one. And we are told uh, from the uh, angels that, that the Messiah, the anointed one, uh, uh, and going back to verse 11, he is the Messiah, the angel says, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Lord. And this is important. And, and, and this Savior is born, and his title is Lord. That's his name. That's so significant. So hold that thought, church. Hold that thought right there, and I'm going to apply it at, the, at point three after this, but hold that thought. So that's the announcement. The Lord is here. The Lord has come into this world. Now, in our Old Testament and the, and the prophets of old, and right now, even our most dedicated Orthodox and ultra-Orthodox Jewish friends, they don't understand that even those who are revealed. And in fact, it's to the point that some, a lot of them have emphatically reject that interpretation. They reject the way the Messiah will come into this world because they don't get it. They don't see that in the Old Testament because the New Testament revealed it and the way the Lord would come into this world, and you know this Christmas story, is a theological term called incarnation. That's how the Lord would come into this world. And this is how Paul explains. Again, the first phrase in verse 6, who being in the very nature of God. Who are we talking about? The Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. He is coming. And, and listen to this. Who, that is Jesus, he's connected with this phrase, being in the nature of God. So, so let's think about this word being. What is it being? Being uh, it's, it's almost a philosophical term. It means the essence. If, you're, if there's an essence of something, it is what it is. And if you're an essence of something, you are who you are. In other words, it cannot be changed. And those of 
you that I see, I assume you're human beings. There's a reason why you're a human being. Uh, because there is a time where you cannot, when you're born into this world, there's a time where you cannot ever not be a human. You can't just like unzip your flesh and become an alien or a rock or a tree. I don't know. You can't do that. <laughs> Only in cartoons and, and uh, these kind. Culturally, you might want to change the way you look or personality or even your identity. Maybe you want to change your gender, whatever. You know, that's a whole different issue. But the thing is, you cannot not be human because <laughs> that's what a being is. Being is an essence, and that cannot be changed. So you're a human being, and I'm glad you're here. Furthermore, the reason why this is important about being because Jesus, Paul says, Jesus being what? In very nature, the essence of God. Jesus cannot ever not be God. All these negatives. To further punctuate this, the Apostle Paul wrote Colossians in chapter 1, verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible, the firstborn of all creation. Notice what Paul is saying. There's a direct reflection of the invisible. That's who Jesus is. He is God. Jesus, his essence, his being, <laughs> when he came into this world, was divine. And as a human, his being, his nature is divine. Hold that thought. Let me continue. It says here, who being very nature of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, what does that mean? This son, before he came to the earth, right? He did not grasp divinity because he is God in heaven. When he came into this earth, he did not grasp divinity either. You know why? Because that was his essence. That was his being. He is God and he was God in being by, uh, by nature. And that's important. You know why? Because if you do the contrast, because while he was in heaven, there was a being you know, before the world began, we are told uh, in Scripture, particularly Isaiah 14 and others, that, that God created angels. And there was the uh, hierarchy of angels. And there was an angel called Lucifer. Lucifer was the most beautiful creation. He was an angel of light. And you know what Lucifer did? He grasped something. He seized. He snatched. He hung on, he clutched to whatever. You know what he was clutching to? He was clutching to divinity. And of course, he couldn't. And so that's why God kicked him out of heaven, and he turned into the devil, which we know is the Satan. Again, Isaiah 14 and other places reference that. So, so Jesus Christ, when he came here on earth, attaining and grabbing divinity was not Jesus' thing. You know Why? Because he was divine already, you know? He did not pursue it like Satan did. But here's the most amazing thing, and this is the heart of Christmas message. And don't, don't uh, skip this. Verse 7, Paul says, But he emptied himself by taking form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. That is the essence of Christmas story, isn't it? But what does this mean? Jesus, this, it means this, that Jesus, again, and, and, and I keep pounding on this, he possessed 
equality with God because his nature is God. But here's the most amazing thing about Jesus when he came on earth. He was willing, verse 7, to let go of it. Verse 7 says he was willing to be emptied. In the Greek word, that's called kenosis. He, he emptied himself when he came to uh, the earth as a baby. He poured out of himself until it was all gone. So here's the question. What did he kenosis? What did he empty himself of? And, and, and the reason why I bring that word kenosis is because in theology, it's called kenosis theory, and there's a debate, believe it or not, and the debate is, what did he empty himself of? Was it his divinity? Was it, what, what, what did he empty himself to become like us? And he cannot be his divinity because that's his nature. You cannot not be who you are. You cannot not be a human. Jesus cannot not be God, his divinity. So that was always there. So that question still remains. What did he empty himself of? What did he pour himself out while he came on earth? And the answer is, he emptied himself of his glory. You know what glory is? Glory is, because if you're God, man, you're glorious. That means you have, you have honor. You have perfection, righteousness, beauty. I mean... You've created the whole world, and you're wealthy. Here's my point. He emptied himself of all those privileges. You know, that's why, if you think about it, that's what made him human. He had none of those things. That's why, if you really think about you and I, we are human. You know what we do? We strive for glory, don't we? We want the glory. We want a name for ourselves. We want the money. We want the fame. We want people to tell us we're okay and we're awesome. But Jesus, you know what he did? He emptied himself of that. He emptied himself and poured it out completely before he came here on earth. That made him human. And so this is what it means to be human, church. We're not divine. This is why you constantly see people and you're being educated by your culture to pursue money, power, and sex. You know why? So they could be like God. That's why we do this all the time. Whether you're Christian or not, we're sucked into this. Because we want to be divine in some way. I know we can't be God. We're not perfect. That's fine. But, but we always are pursuing for a little bit of div divinity. So at least we're going to have power so over someone else. That's why all these isms are around that we hate and we have to fight it. Social justice and all that. And it's true because that's what people are trying to do. But that's what all humans are. We're all trying to be divine. We forget that we're human. The fundamental nature of human being is to be like God, and you know that if you've been in church. We preach in this pulpit all the time. Here's the paper trail. I kind of laid this out a little bit. We, our first parents, Adam and Eve, they were, they were just human. They were content with that. But when sin came, check this out, they had sinful nature, 
How did they get that sinful nature? They gave in to the temptation in which Satan, who disguised himself as a serpent, told him you could be like God. They said, yay, and they went for it, and, and, and they became sinful. But where did they get it? They got it from Satan, remember, who in heaven grasped or tried to grab divinity, and he couldn't, which was what? God's glory. He wanted all that himself. And that's the state of human being. That's, the, that's our fall. So, so because of what Satan did, he gave it to Adam and Eve. Now we are all born in that. And guess what? You are without God, lusting for that divinity. Just like, just like Jesus told people who are unbelievers, just like your father, the devil. You know what the devil is doing constantly, clutching for power, using money, sex, power for, to be like God. And he wants you to do the same thing. That's the state of humanity. So... The mystery of Jesus is that God came into this world as a human being, a being who possessed all the glory of God. But you know what he did? Before he came, he checked. He voluntarily gave up and emptied all those things, voluntarily poured it out completely of, all, of what we all want seeking and lusting after the things that Satan wants us to have that he failed to get. The reason why this is important in part of the Christmas message, because listen to this, Jesus had to not only be human, folks, but he had to empty himself. You know why? The writer of Hebrews says, chapter 2, verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But, One, that is Jesus, the Messiah, the one, the Lord, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You say, of course Jesus lived without sin because he was God. Don't do that. You're cheating God and you're cheating yourself. If Jesus did empty everything out, he had the same temptation. In fact, Satan personally visited him and offered him everything that you and I would drool to have. But it's not because he was God he refused it, but because he was human. And you know what he did? He's teaching us. We don't have super-duper powers to overcome temptation and sin. The only thing Jesus did was what you and I have to do, which is what? Obey. Obey God. And follow him. This is what made Jesus understand us because he became like us. Not just in human form, not just because he could feel pain and things like that, but he was just like us in what? In our nature. So he experienced human being. And our nature is only propensity to sin, to lust after money, sex, and power, to be like God. He experienced that in the same degree that you and I do. The temptations, the weaknesses, the tendencies, all the problems, and yet I can't understand this, but he did it without sin. That's why Jesus is our hero. You understand that? And this is the mystery of the incarnation, that Jesus became like us, which means in every ordinary way. Look at verse, uh, continue, Paul says in verse 8, that being found in human form... (laughs) He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And there it is, his, his obedience. 
that, that, that uh, 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 he led the way for us. But, but I want to talk in verse 8 about his humanness, his ordinariness, in his appearance. If you, we were there 2,000 years ago with the shepherds, and, and we were part of his community in Nazareth. We would see that Jesus as a baby and as a boy, as a young man, he looks just like us. He's a man. Was he good looking? I'm not sure, but who cares, right? He is a man just like us. Whatever he experienced, uh, so did we. Listen, what I need for you to do, church, is to get this idea of Jesus out of your mind. He didn't have gel, and his hair wasn't always nice and perfect. You know that, right? He didn't wear makeup. <laughs> his robe was not always clean. It wasn't dry cleaned all the time. You know what I mean? He didn't walk. I mean, he touched the earth. He didn't, he didn't glide over the earth. He never had a halo that went with him to the end. No, get that out of your mind. Dude became dirty. He probably did all the stuff we do in the bathroom just like we do. He had siblings. He probably were annoyed by them. He was hungry. He was hangry. <laughs> Everything that you deal with, he was just like that. Why? Because he was a human being. And even Luke chapter 2, as we read, you see the ordinariness in the context in which he came into this world. He was with the shepherd, the most ordinary job that you can get. I mean, it's like, you know, you know going to a bodega or shops around the corner. It's just like he probably owned one of those things or dry cleaners or whatever. He was born in town of Bethlehem, the most small, ordinary, obscure town. Wrapped in a swaddling cloth, you know, just because he's the son of God, he doesn't have a special cloth. It was an itchy, dirty cloth that a baby gets wrapped in, in a stable, in a manger out of the most ordinary places. And even uh, verse 12 says, on the eighth, 21, on the eighth day, he was presented to the Lord. Just like any other Jewish kid. Yes, he's the son of God, but guess what? Everything about him was human, was ordinary. Why is this important? Because only an ordinary person can represent humanity. Like I said, if Jesus was a superhero and he had a little edge over us, yeah, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to follow Jesus because uh, there's no way we could be holy. But Jesus showed us the way, right? You see, he gave up his superhero powers. He had divinity, he didn't use it. He gave up all his glory, he let it go. What he had was he lived in complete obedience and dependence on God. That's the Christmas message. And he did it without sin. Yeah, we're going to fail, and we should fail, right? But how do you not fail? Well, you look what Jesus did. He spent... He spent time with God like we should. He read the scriptures, memorized the scripture, internalized the scripture like we need to. He prayed. That was it. He didn't have fancy teachings on podcasts and fancy uh, great preachers to tell them what's, what's up. He, that's what he did. <laughs> if he had to wake up early, he did. If he had to stay up late, he did to be with the Father. But he wasn't a monk. He wasn't cloistered in a monastery. No, he was with the people. He was active. He loved. I mean, that is how you get to the Father, folks. That's what the Christmas story is. Well, having said all that, as we could say so much, but I want to go to the third point. If this is the Christmas story, what are the implications? There's a lot. Let me just give you one. Listen, the heart of Christmas story, 
is that God sent his son into this world. He became human in every way. That's the story. You know that. Nothing changed. If the culture's Christmas story, then, is summarized by a Santa hanging on a cross, and that's the narrative you want to go with, then, then you will want to go, you would want Christmas, Christmas to get back to normal. You would want your holidays. You want to fly whenever you want. You want to uh, uh, do everything that you want, and life is normal. That's, that's an option that you have. However, however, If you see that the Christmas story, this narrative that I shared with you, that Paul has just uh, 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 given explanation to, and if you believe that is the heart of the Christmas message that God intended from time of, before time began in the Trinity, the implication for you on Christmas is that this, that God bestowed that name. Chapter 2, verse 11. The angel declared that this Messiah is what? The Lord. And the Lord is capital L-O-R-D, which means in the Old Testament, L, which is Yahweh, the, the unpronounceable name of God. God, the creator of the universe. This Messiah, the one, is the Lord. Again, our ultra-Orthodox friends are looking for the Messiah. His name is not the Lord. That is, that is heretical to them. They're looking for a person. So we throw that out. Angels tells us and identifies the Messiah as God himself. So if that is the narrative, here's the implication. This is Jesus' title, the second person of the Trinity. It is a name. It is a name that is above every other name. And that name, friends, has incredible eternal implication. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, that is Jesus, Jesus that we've been talking about, and bestowed upon him what? That name, L-O-R-D, that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. The implication is that Jesus is Lord. Yes. What does that mean? That means you have two choices. You either realize that and you give your heart to God and you accept that name, Lord, so that Jesus is Lord of not only in heaven and earth, but your life. And if you do... He says, you're going to be with God the Father in glory. You're going to be with him. That's called salvation. Romans 9, 10, and 11. If you believe in your, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that he died and rose from the dead, you'll be saved. Right? Here's the other implication. Say you don't do that. You're from different religion, culture, maybe, you know, Christianity is not true. You know, you got out of church. Or maybe you never came back to church and say, well, you know, this shows that I never have faith. Christianity is not that important. It's boring. It just shows you that Jesus is not your Lord. But here's the thing. If that's your choice, Paul tells us, again, the mystery of the revelation. He's revealed to us everybody Everyone post Adam and Eve, all their descendants, everyone that is a human being. So you don't have to worry about your pets, your, your snake, 
<laughs> your pet rock, they don't have to cry, Jesus Lord. Forget about them. I'm talking about if you're a human being, post Adam and Eve. If you're a human being, every tongue will confess he is Lord. And you're your choice right here. You either confess he's Lord on earth. It also says heaven because in heaven, everybody's crying, Jesus Lord. There are signs everywhere. Jesus Lord is given. On earth, you have a choice. You either confess him Lord or you don't. Because if you don't, when you go to hell, which is the under the earth. Did you know Jesus is Lord down there too? Did you know you will confess he is Lord there too? You got a choice to make. You either confess him now, bow to him, but it's not just saying, you got to live it out. A lot of you saying Jesus is Lord, is, you have proven you have, Jesus is not your Lord. You got to look inside and say, I gave the talk, but where's my action? Where's my time with the Lord? Where is this hunger for him? COVID happened, whatever, I checked out. You, Jesus is not Lord. He cannot be. God is calling the church. He's given the church a gift. A gift for what? To cut out all the fat, the excesses of Christmas, of religion, of buildings, of this whole Christian stuff to get to the core of what Christianity is, and that's Jesus. Is he your Lord? That's what it comes down to. And if you have not made that choice, you're going to, every knee's going to bow down to him. Do it now or later. So I'm going to, I'm going to, really, I, please, um, look in your heart. I want to ask the praise team to come up and kind of help me here. Just set up, you know, I'm just going to talk. I'm going to, I want to lead you to prayer. If you're listening to this, you need to think about this. I don't care if you hate Jesus or don't believe him. I don't think, care if you think that he never was there for you. It doesn't matter. He is Lord. <laughs> We're going to confess him sometime. If, look into your heart. Holy Spirit will tell you and acknowledge if, you are, if he is Lord of your life or not. If you ask him, God, is Jesus Lord in my life? You will know the answer. I know everybody wants to say, of course. That's not necessarily the case. If Jesus is not Lord right now, oh, the greatest Christmas gift that we can give to you is Jesus. And he says, you don't have to wait till Christmas Day. It's not under the Christmas tree. It's right here. It's always been here. And he says, open it. <laughs> open it now and enjoy it. Receive it. And if Jesus is Lord and you get that, and, and you don't have to pursue glory anymore. You don't have to be perfect anymore, right? You don't have to be good or whatever. Jesus is all that for you. Because ironically, when you receive Jesus Lord, he gives you glory. You don't get glory for yourself. He gives you that glory. And I think that's what we're all pursuing. We just got it wrong. We can't get it from the world. We can't get it from our actions. We get it from Jesus. So let me just pray. Let me... Um, give you a moment to pray so that we can think about that most important question. Did we make Jesus Lord in our lives? Think about that. Ask yourself. Ask the Holy Spirit, are you Lord of my life? Or am I just playing games? 
let the Holy Spirit rest upon you and confess Him. Father, I pray that as your Spirit is working, as you're giving us the gift of Christmas right now, that you would help us to hear from our hearts. Lord, we have not, most of us have not heard from you for a while, but may you be very clear right now and show them whether you are Lord in their lives or not. Father, I pray that if they're not, that you will warm their hearts, that you will convict them. So friends, if Jesus is not Lord of your life, pray with me. Dear God, I thank you for coming together, coming to us 2,000 years ago. I thank you that you were born in human form, in weakness, because I am weak, and I've been searching all my life looking for glory in all the wrong places. And if your narrative is true, oh God, would you be Lord of my life right now so I don't have to pursue those things? Thank you for saving me from death and sin and hell. Thank you for not only salvation, but giving me a new life so that you give me the heart to obey you from this day forward, that I can follow you, O Lord, that I can call you, Lord, and whatever you say, I will do, and I will follow, and I will act upon what you tell me to do. I thank you, Father, for your love and grace, but Lord, help me to be, show that in action. Thank you, God, for the gift of salvation, and change me to this day that would not be the same after this. In Jesus' name we pray.